are back in the Football Sheds, your weekly football podcast for people that live in the wrong time zone like we do here in Melbourne. My name's John Hewitt, Jeff King is here. G'day. And Roger Gibbs is here. Good evening. Now, Jeff, I think you've uh, started Christmas early. Have you got the Baileys out? Well, yeah, because Phil on Facebook was... Uh, okay, a, two, a few different things. Firstly, when I drink rum during the podcast, yeah. I listen back and I disagree with myself. <laughs> so I don't feel like I'm representing my true opinion okay. quite, quite you know, appropriately yeah. enough. And so so Phil got in touch and said, oh, I was looking forward to Christmas, so we're back on the Baileys. Yeah. I think I've got good opinions on Baileys. So today's a bit of a, wow. a, bit of a, a test bed to see whether... I disagree with myself as much today. <laughs> You've just built yourself up there. Well, it's considerably less percentage-wise, so that may have an effect. Yeah. F- fewer percentages. <laughs> no, it's less. Right. Is it? Roger. Weaker. No less obnoxious, though, yeah. than Bailey's. Um, but I've got a question. Why is Bailey's Christmassy? Is it just because you drink it at Christmas, or is it generally seen as a Christmas drink? Shut your eyes. Think of Bailey's. Taste it. Christmas. You ready? Christmas. No. I sort of think of more like dessert. Yeah, but you have dessert at Christmas, don't you? Baileys is like you never like normal humans don't buy Baileys, and you only buy it at Christmas because your grand might have some. Yeah, or me. You just don't really. It's one of those things. Well, I more think it's one of those funny things that you might get as a Christmas present. Yeah, Yeah. great. It's a great present. You just drink it Boxing Day, but no one really wants it. (laughs) Oh come on! (laughs) And then Jeff comes over and drinks the leftovers. Yeah. Um, what you, you, what there you, we go. What are you drinking, Roger? <laughs> yeah, well, Judgy, uh, Judgy uh, nothing, No, no, nothing so exciting. Same as last week, whatever it was, the Kaiju Crush. That's so boring, the same drink. Well, I, I actually had some... <laughs> I, I would never do that. I had some leftovers because I bought some more beers and then I drank those and then I looked in the fridge and I found these at the back and I had two left. Well, that's a good story, Grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've got my Aldi wine, which I've never had before. It's brand new. <laughs> How much well, it cost, John? Five bucks. That's a far more exciting story. We haven't heard that one before. Um, every week we do start with a question. Um, but before we do the question, a little bit of admin. Um, if you want to get in contact, ask us a question. Uh, tell us we're wrong about something or that Jeff's wrong about drinking Baileys for Christmas. Um, just find us on Facebook. Just search Football Shed or email us at footballshedpodcast at gmail.com. Um, and don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. And of course, tell your mates so more people can hear us talk nonsense. Question this week, bit of a random one. How old is Phil Jones? Uh, 30. 30. No, I think he's younger than that. I'm going to say 28. He's 27 years old. No. How is, is Phil Jones 27 years old? He's the peak. He's a peak player. He's got another, like, centre backs can play till they're 37. He's got 10 years left in him. Like, what well, happened? I, I, I think <laughs> what happened. Well, I think he's a bit. <laughs> Unfairly maligned. Yeah, now, I think some of it's bad. He's crap. Some of it's well. Some of it's bad luck. Some of it's nature. <laughs> um, okay, okay. No, now, I'm, I'm I'm betting in for this. Come on. So I, I mean, I when he came on the scene, so he started at Blackburn, I think. Yeah. Now he looked really good. He burst onto the scene as like a 18, 19 year old could play centre back, but could also play centre midfield. Um, in like the holding role, and you're like, this kid's got it all. He's, yeah. he's big, he's strong, he's quick, he can play a bit. So you weren't that surprised when United signed him. Um, however, he's a bit like those bigger kids that used to play sport at school, <laughs> in that they were really good when they were the bigger kid, but then as ev- they like they hit up. puberty first and got bigger quicker, and then everyone else catches up with them, and you realise they're not very good. Phil Jones is a little bit like that. 
yeah. in that, you know, he came on the scene and was great as an 18-year-old, but I feel like that was almost his peak. And since then, he hasn't but hasn't improved, but I also feel there's a the bad luck bit, because part of the reason he hasn't improved is because he's never really had any continuity in his game because he gets injured all the time. It's gets, like he's made of some sort of soft material. Well, well you can see his face. He genuinely yeah, is bit, made of some sort of soft <laughs> like material. Like marshmallow or, when, or, or when jelly you, or something. When you said it was either bad luck or nature, I'm like, which one's the face? Which, 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 one's, which one's the face? I mean, nature produced his face, but it's also bad luck. Do you know, so perhaps the face is the answer to both. When I was looking for this question today, I was like, oh, I'll just double check how old Phil Jones is. If you Google Phil Jones... The first thing that comes up next to it, Phil Jones' face. Really? Yes. Like that's the thing. He's he's unfortunate. Alex Ferguson said he could be the best player in the world. Oh, and like there was talk of him being England captain and being centre back for England for years, and it's all he's still got a ten year career ahead of him that he could become an England regular, but it's just all gone. He'll, wrong. he'll just get injured. Do you know who has a similar face? Go on, David Cameron. <laughs> <laughs> Same, like just no. Like featureless, just like I mean, that's the Steve Bell's um, caricature of David Cameron is a um, condom, uh, <laughs> and it's the, I think Phil Jones has that similar sort of complexion. A bit like um, Bob Bradley, the uh, old film yeah, manager who was a con- skull, skull, in a, skull con- in a condom. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense for him because he's got the features of a skull in a condom. Yeah. Phil Jones is is unfortunate. Like he, and I'm sorry. We're gonna just be open about it. He, sorry, Phil. Sorry, Phil. You look unfortunate. It's unfortunate the way you look because yeah. it, it probably dominates your um your storyline. And you're gonna look back at your career and you're gonna Google yourself, and there'll be a picture of you being smashed in the face with a ball, and your bloody <laughs> your tongue going six feet to the left, your eyeballs hanging out. Like, and that's not your fault, but it's hmm. just sad for you. But he's just never kicked on. Like he no. sort of. I felt like it. He could have. It could have been a really, really good centre-back. And he, I don't know whether it's just because he wasn't as good good as we thought he was or whether it's just that he's been injured all the time so he's never been able to prove and United have been crap in that time so he's had no one to learn from. And I, he's I, been accident, he's accident-prone. Yeah. Like, he just always makes errors. But anyway, any, he was part of, a, um, part of a rebuild at United uh, where you got a bit trigger-happy with the old... You know, let's just choose who's the best in the league right now, and that's when you got cleverly and and Smalling, Smalling and G- Darren Gibson, or was he part of your, he was part sort of your team? But it, it was that same yeah. era yeah. of Man United where actually, you know, maybe the the sum was better than the parts during that yeah. period. It's when Fergie was going, oh yeah, we've got some young players. We'll play. Oh, actually, there's quite crap. Let's buy yeah. some other young players. Oh, they're quite crap too. Oh, let's buy Van Persie and then we'll win the league. And I can, I can hear the feedback saying, well, you won the league like that with that yeah. team. However, when you look back on that title-winning side, it was oh, pretty crap. It's it was re- like clinging on to a title by their fingernails. And I think that season was one of the reasons United are in a mess now. Because all Fergie wanted was to win it. And he's like, nothing else matters. Mm. Yeah. I, I, you know, I don't care if we fall off a cliff. I just want this title. Yeah. And, and that's the thing about title-winning sides. It's about replenishment, isn't it? It's not about rebuilds. You don't go through cycles of rebuilds as a title-winning side. You replenish. You constantly replenish when you're yeah. when you're ahead. And actually, that was a new cycle of rebuild that wasn't as good as the previous quality. And David Moyes just got left holding the bloody bunch of potatoes. David Moyes is quite a good segue onto a, this week, I think. Oh, <laughs> here we he's, go. He's been mentioned. But now this week, we've kind of framed this week's shed by managers. So sometimes we talk about top of the league or bottom of the league or whatever. But rather with this week, we're going to look at managers that are on the edge 
so maybe lose their job. Managers that are having a great time, and then managers that we may be forgotten about a little bit. Um, now, the managers on the edge, Jeff, you've kind of wanted to frame this slightly differently. Yeah, yeah. So I want you to, please, uh, John, I'll look at you. Yeah. I want you to convince me why Pellegrino, Pellegrini. the wa- Pellegrino, <laughs> the Italian waterman, should keep his job. He's Chilean? Yes. No, but Pellegrino is Italian water. Come on, people. <laughs> yes. But yeah, let's start with the West Ham Spurs game, where Pellegrini, they lost 3-2 to Spurs and were awful. There's the whole Jose's come into Spurs and they were great for an hour or whatever and went 3-0 up. West Ham were so bad. They just didn't care at all. And you look at Pellegrini in the post-match interviews... He just doesn't look like he cares. He's 65 years old. He's a multi-millionaire. He's getting paid through the teeth to manage a team full of multi-millionaires. And they all look a bit, oh, yeah, whatever. I don't really yeah, care. Hold on. What about you convincing Jeff here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm just I'm working out how okay, I'm going to okay. convince so, myself. I'll, I'll, give you a bit of, I'll give you a window of space here. Yeah. Defensively, they were horrendous. And when I say horrendous, they weren't individual. We're not talking Phil Jones errors. Mm. We're talking about organisation. Like it was non-existent. The, the parting of the waves, endlessly for for a Spurs side who were trying their best because of you know the the bloody pantomime that's surrounding Spurs right now. Spurs were trying very hard. They were at, they were applying pressure at the back of West Ham, and West Ham were just. It was so disorganised. It was horrible to watch. Yeah. Um, have I given you enough time? Can oh, you, yeah. can I've me? got one thing that with it that I think is a very simple answer. The goalkeeper. Yep. Yep. Said, it, said be- it last week. He is the worst. I reckon he could have saved two of the goals this week. Yep. But just generally, the aura that he gives off just affects the whole team. It's so bad. It's like Claudio Bravo at his worst for Man City times 10. There was a point in this game where he saved a shot that was straight at him. It was a free kick. I don't know if you saw this. Mm. And all the West Ham fans sarcastically cheered really loudly. And that's a problem. How does that not affect you as a player? I was going to say, that's to defend Pellegrini, um, he's in a position where he has a goalkeeper who can't save anything and the whole crowd have no faith in him and are cheering him when he makes the simplest chances, um, simplest saves. So if you get Fabianski back in, West Ham was sixth before this all went wrong, before Fabianski got injured. Um, they have good forwards, so if they can get that sorted at the back, then maybe they can. But do he does it. also have another goalkeeper, yes. and he did also push the West Ham board really hard to bring in this um, director of football. Yes, uh, who signed the crap. who signed the crap keeper? Yeah, that's the thing. Like he didn't just randomly rock up at. Upton Park? Where do they train? It's not Upton Park. No, what the Olympic Stadium. Yeah, but they've got a training ground somewhere. Do you know it? Uh, anyway, yeah. they didn't rock up there and just like get a game. Now he's yeah. on the pitch. Like they bought him, they wanted him, they scouted him. That's a major problem. Yeah. The Son's goal just went through him. It's like oh, it, yeah. like he said. It's like in Mario. You know when you when you look at a when you look at a ghost and the ghosts <laughs> just disappear. You turn your back on them, they become human again. It's like Son just looked up and he was like, oh, boop, boop, disappear. Yeah. <laughs> just, just get, don't get me wrong Son's goal was excellent the little step over was just oh, brilliant but still he should save but, it oh my god it just went through him yeah and he should have saved Kane's header as well yeah um, and it went right next to him um, so to defend Pellegrini maybe there's a bit there because you're right I think all you can say is that like I think the defence of Pellegrini is still 
tinged with some uh actually it could also be Pellegrini's fault as we yeah. just talked about but <laughs> I think that that is a significant factor in West Ham's form drop off like I don't think you can underestimate how much effect a bad goalkeeper can have on a team yeah and uh, Rice is nowhere near the player he was last season which like the whole thing might have a knock on effect um, and I've always said Pellegrini's a crap manager he's done well that's not defending you've just no, said no I know <laughs> but that's why I'm struggling to defend him um, because I've always thought he's played, he's done well at clubs where he kind of just comes in, has great players, and just tells them they're great and just, oh, just do this, do that. And he doesn't have to organise and make things happen. At Man City, he had the best squad in the league and went, oh, just kind of score some goals and don't let me too yeah, many Yeah, he's in. more of a Slav and Bilic type. Yeah. Or Mark Hughes. And we know that both of those R- don't work at West Ham. R- R- yeah, <laughs> R- rather than a um, tactical. Okay, but, okay so uh, to, in his defence, you'd argue that the substitutions he made were positive during that yes. game. When Antonio came on, he Antonio was, was very good. He was very good. Why uh, didn't he start then? He's been out for six weeks. Oh, has he? Seven weeks, yeah. So I also think he makes a big difference for them because he's... He cares. He cares, yeah. Not only is he a very good footballer, um, mm. and I think he can do it all. Like, he can he can defend as a forward, yeah. um, but he can also, you know, he can run all day, he's skillful. he can pass, he can yeah. do all that, and you're right, he cares. Whereas you'd say that some of their other flair players, and I would probably call Antonio, uh, he's got a bit of flair. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's certainly a great finish, but some of the other players don't necessarily come with that same care factor i'm i'm in slight shock here like i, I you've just described antonio as an attacking flair player yeah so I, if i shut my eyes and, and go back five years he's a defender no he played so isn't he, he a right back no, no. he right wing back occasionally yeah village played him at right back for a little while there we go um, so he's in his time at West Ham. He's played right back, left back, all across the midfield and all across the front three. So he's just not played centre back. So, so the evolution into him. Be, and they're doing him wrong. He scores goals. Yeah. He is. Um, I mean, he has the poise of an elephant. <laughs> like, like, yeah. like he doesn't look natural. Like he, you know, he doesn't look like Hazard on the ball. He doesn't no. float. He's not an no. Arteta. He doesn't like, yeah. you know, absorb passes and float through players. He doesn't yeah. do any of that stuff. So, so he's a bit of an elephant. He scores goals. He he cares. He's got an amazing header on him. Yeah. Um, the even the goal he scored this weekend, great finish. But it's a bit like, yeah. you know, I'm not sure. He makes stuff how much oh, that no, was, I think that he was, meant that. He yeah. let it run across his body. Oh, I just don't think, you know, there is a... I, it was more reaction than plan. Yeah. You, you don't yeah. catch someone like Hazard scoring goals like that. He has a plan. But I'd, Whereas the Antonio reacts incredibly well, which is why he's a good header of a football. Yeah. You don't plan your line. You react to the flight of the ball. I'd call him an effective player. So I don't know whether it's flair or not, but yeah. he makes stuff happen. If you have him on the pitch, Antonio's going to make something go wrong or really well but, and he'll score he'll assist he'll run around he'll make stuff happen and you need those people in your team I'd, I'd argue that is because his he reacts to the game better than other players so yeah. so the situation he's in he will react perfectly to yeah. what I don't think and the reason why, why I, I jumped on it Rog is, is because as a creative player you, there's a difference between a creative player and a reactive player. Mm-hmm. He's perfect as a reactive player, but I'm not sure he's the ga- he's the the game changing creative player. I think in a situation he reacts perfectly and he can change I a game. I didn't say he was because of that. Yeah. I said he was a flair player, which yeah. I think flair and creativity don't necessarily go hand uh, in hand. No, okay, I, t- I take that point. I take that point. Um, but I think the one thing that you have to say is I think West Ham are a better team with him in it. 
Yes. And so I think that's a big miss too. I didn't realise he'd been out for six weeks, I mm. thought. But Pellegrini has sort of, he has been a bit in and out of the team this year. Yeah. What do you think the thing with Rice is? Do you think that's just because West Ham has been as good? or I, mean, I, I, yeah, I think it's a confidence or? thing and because he's 19 years old. Yeah. And the whole of last year, he was in the team, centre of defensive midfield, got into the England team. And now this year... It's just kind of the same, and it's hard to the, that that consistency comes at a bit of an age where you just go, "This is job, turn up, make sure I'm seven out of ten every week," and it's less exciting to go. I'm playing against Man United. Oh, I've just played and, against and them you know, I, I I lay a lot of the defensive blame against Declan Rice. Declan Rice, Declan Rice's form is affecting the rest of the team, and I, and I say that because. The position he plays, he has a responsibility to cover positions in the back line. Yeah. If you play a centre defensive playmaker, essentially, he's a, he's a, he's yep. a quarterback, yep. and because he's gifted at football, so he's not just he doesn't just mop it up. Yep. He's a, he's a quarterback. By doing that, you you have a joint responsibility of dropping back when you're needed and pushing forwards when you're needed. And I think the imbalance Declan Rice is showing this year is having a negative effect on the two centre backs that play behind him, and it's making them look bad. They're but, constantly exposed. They're constantly too wide. They have space between. They have space between the fullbacks and themselves. And I, I think that Declan Rice has a lot to, to shoulder on that. But then that also goes back to the goalkeeper. Yeah, when, he should be organising it yeah, too, exactly. granted. Yeah. yeah, if the goalkeeper gets the centre-backs ready, it's, it's all a knock-on effect. So I do think I would shoulder the blame mostly on the goalkeeper. But I, I think there's also, we'll talk about some other managers, but there's a bit of a running theme here. I think there's a common issue in a lot of these teams in the same area of the park which is essentially midfield and particularly defensive midfield. Like it's the way teams are playing at the moment, it is a crucial position on the pitch. And I think if you look at all the teams that are doing well, they all have players in that position playing yeah. very well. Yeah, the Fabinho's and Ndidi's. Mm. Yeah, if you look yeah. at Liverpool, have got multiple options. Yeah. You know, you look at Ndidi, you look at um, yeah Fernandinho and yeah. Uh, Rodri. Like Neves at Wolves. There's Neves and Matinho. I think they've all Sheffield United, uh, Lundstrom and, yeah. and Fleck. Like, yeah. I mean, but I think that whereas we go through, you know, these teams that we're going to talk about now that aren't doing so well, I think all of those teams are struggling in that. Position. And you, you think Everton lost one who is now starting for PSG as as their player of the season so far? Yeah. You know when they lost Guai and replaced him with someone who then got injured on the first game of the season, they literally had no one else to go into that position, which means they have to completely change their style of play on the back of it. Well, let's move on to Everton on that note then. So they lose to Norwich two 0 at home. That's a which... massive. I was really surprised. Why did Norwich a... wear red? Yellow, uh, yellow and blue don't look the same. No time for that. Weird. No time yeah. for that. Um, but to lose 2-0 at home to a team that hadn't scored a goal away from home since the first day of the season is awful. So, Jeff, your chance. How do you defend Marco Silva to stay in the job? It's very hard to. Yeah. Um, the biggest def- the biggest defence you'd have is... I mean, I just said about the defensive midfielder. That makes a difference. Yeah. However, the lack of urgency, the lack of creativity in that side was there for everyone to see. Everton have lived off their home form for the last 12 months or so. You know, they've got some incredibly big results at the end of last season, tail end of last season at home. That really, that was the, the reason why Marco Silva survived the summer was because of the results against United, results against Arsenal, result, the draw against Liverpool, the result against Chelsea. These were the results that meant, oh, actually, yeah, maybe this guy's got something. It, it, it put some positivity into the summer. Um, lost a key player, replaced him with someone who got injured on the first day and because of that he's not been able to balance that midfield. He took Schneiderlin out of 
exile to play there. Schneiderlin's not good enough. That's no. why United sold him. You know, if he was, if yeah, remember when he played for Man United? Yeah, that's the thing. He, he's he's just not good. He enough. He was really good at Southampton, um, but he's yeah. just never found that. Again. Yeah, uh, yeah, he overachieved at Southampton, you'd say, and then he's he's been dining off that for Don't the last about four Gomez years too. Yeah, Gomez's injury because there was a point. Post Guai, where Gomez and Davis looked mm. really good together. Obviously, Gomez being injured. One you... game, I think that was. <laughs> well, that was, that was a game <laughs> against West Ham. Was, yeah. I was yeah. like, that's the turning point. Exactly we, right. We both yeah. watched that game and they had like 30 shots. Yeah. Looked really good. And I was like, but it was the attitude and it was all through the pitch. But Gomez was mm. the best player on the park. So it's, it's, a, it's a big problem. Um, if I'm going to defend him, it. I think, well, I, I, well, I'll help you out. The next five games are Leicester, um, Man United, Man City, Liverpool, Chelsea. Arsenal, Chelsea. Like the, the next five. Leicester awesome. twice because he got them in the cup. But Silver does better against big teams. Yeah. So if anything, he's been told that he has the job for this week in the news today. So he's this he, week. Yeah. <laughs> he can play against Leicester and then they play Liverpool the week after. But if he gets results in these next four or five games and also if you bring in a new manager say and there's been talk of David Moyes coming in mm. which would be the worst idea of all time like there is no logic to that at all it's so uninspiring yeah um, but if you bring in a new manager now and go oh you're playing the top five basically in the league go and then you lose four out of five you're, all, you're in the same position you might as well go okay Silver you got five games against five of the best teams in the league. See how you go. If we yeah. lose all five, well, it's probably not actually that different to You're on we... your bike. Yeah. yeah, and you go, see you later. If you get two wins, two draws and a loss, brilliant, carry so, on. No, a, a few other things. He lost his assistant manager in the summer. You know, his assistant manager took a first-team coach job in Portugal. Yeah. I can't remember the chap's name, but yeah. he'd been with him at Olympiacos. He'd been with, with, he managed in, in Portugal. He won the league I with... I remember, yeah. um, He'd basically been with him his whole managerial yeah. career and he lost him. And he got Boa Morte in. You remember Boa yes. Morte from Fulham fame and yeah. Arsenal for Boa yeah. Morte? But yeah, um, that always affects a manager. You know, that number two is the voice box in the in training. You know you know that. They, they, it's a double act. The number two doesn't get as much credit as they should, but they are very, very important. So if, you know, a, few thing happen, a few things happen to his detriment. I absolutely think you're right. Um why would you take that job now mm. if you're at Marco Silva? Because you walk in, you might have one good result in five and the world's against you. Um, however, a, a few different things. The, the difference between where Everton are and where Spurs are is stark. You know, I, I was banging on last week about has Poch been a success. The biggest way to, to gauge Pochettino's success is the way Spurs could go for Jose Marino after he left. So they could sack... And you're going to go for David Moyes. That's the thing. They could sack Poch and the day after they could get a manager with that calibre. Now, we can think what we like about Jose Mourinho. However, they could convince him to be Spurs boss, right? Yeah. If Everton was to sack Marco Silva, who could they realistically convince to take the job? Yeah. And, and that is a really good benchmark of how far he's taken that club. He actually hasn't. Yeah. That's and, a, that's and, a huge. So, you problem. know, I, I've got my defence thing would, yeah. would not necessarily be about silver. It would be about one: is there anybody better out there at the moment that would want to come to Everton? Yeah, because Pochettino wouldn't go there. Pochett I don't know if there is. Yeah, I, ben, I think I don't think Rafa Benitez would because of the Liverpool connection. He, no, yeah. he's the he's the only one that 
isn't getting a mention anywhere. He's been How- perfect. However, I genuinely think that he would be the perfect man for the job, and I don't know why he wouldn't take it. His family live in Liverpool. He has an incredible connection to the city. If it was going from Liverpool to Everton, then no, no way. But he's managed another Premier League side. So that means, you know, if you're a, uh, if you're a uh, Chelsea fan and you love Mourinho, Mourinho has given you the best memories of your life and it's great. You think, oh, if he went to Spurs, I'd hate him. Actually, if he went to Spurs straight after Chelsea, you'd hate him, but he didn't. Yeah. He went to Inter and he went to Real Madrid and he went to Man United and now he's gone to Spurs. It's like like your ex-girlfriend really, isn't it? Like like you know, you you, you hate the bloke that she goes to, but actually once she breaks up with him and like five boyfriends down the line, you really just don't give a shit. Yeah. So I but think that I that, don't know with Rafa though because he lives in Liverpool and yeah. he's. I think that makes a difference. He openly there. talks about how he enjoys like taking the kids to school and helping out with the kids' school teams and stuff. And you'll see the mums and dads at school and say hello, and that's his day to day life. And Everton Liverpool is such a big rivalry in Liverpool. That to suddenly go, I'm manager of Everton and just go to work, no, go to take the kids to school. I think that would have, he'd find that really hard. But you know, I there's there's part of me that just does disagree. I, I do think that yes, it's a massive rivalry in Liverpool, but there's also mums and dads who are Everton Liverpool fans. There's there's children and grown ups and grandparents who are who are you know red and blue. You know what happened without without yeah. like um Can I, know, I, stretching I, too far I, into I the think, past? Can we well, stop it though? Because well, I don't think he's going to go to Everton. Well, no. what you know what happened with the the Hillsborough disaster, or. Uh, the yeah. the way that kind of linked the community together, you know, the the boycott of the Sun newspaper. Yes, a huge rivalry, but it's not a rivalry. It's not like Millwall and uh, Luton, and, and you know, yeah. these aren't West Ham. and West Ham. These aren't clubs that you know you don't try and bottle each other. It's the opposite. Yeah. It's, a, it's a rivalry because that is the most wholesome way to live in that city because you're one or the other. However, you are you love people in your family who are the other, and that doesn't affect your relationship. And I think the Liverpool fans love Rafa Benitez. And I think that they would genuinely wish him well. And I think that's a rare Do thing Do you in think football. he's going to go to Evan? No, I would love it if he did. And it's I just a hard don't, thing to I, say. The other thing I'm going to say in my defence of Silva yeah. is that I think Everton made massive errors when the money came in and you got um, Koeman in and you spent lots of money on 37 on, number 10s. On, on not a huge amount of players, but you spent a lot of money and you really unbalanced your squad. And that isn't a quick fix. And I don't. I look at the Everton team that played Norwich, and I look at the Everton squad, and we talked about the Premier League evening up. I I just don't actually think the Everton first team and the Everton squad is that great. Mm. The quality, and I still think that squad is somewhat unbalanced. I think in some positions you have like too much cover. Like we saw people like Lookman go without really getting a chance because you have lots of player in, players in the Buying position he plays. Yeah. And yet we're talking about you know these key positions in the middle of the park where there just isn't another option. And so I think Silva can only do the best with what he's got. And I still I think he does have the ability to improve players. I think I've seen players in his time get better. I mean, maybe now we're seeing it with someone like Dina, who does seem to have improved as he's... Yeah. Maybe as part of that might just be playing in the Premier League. And he's responsible for Charleston's development. And he's respo- yeah. yeah, but I so I just but I look at that team and I'm like, I don't necessarily think it is as straightforward as just going, it's silver. I still think there's a bit of, you know, trying to fix that squad. And that's not... 
it's not easy because I think everyone in the Premier League now is quite good. Yeah. So, so would we keep Silva for the next five games or get rid of him? I'd keep him. I'd keep him. Do you know, I think he's going to be kept because you remember what happened last time when Mishuri get rid of Kuman and then Big Sam comes And it in. took six weeks to find a manager because yeah. he didn't have a yeah. plan. You know, you go, is it a plan or is it a reaction, Roger? He didn't have a plan. David Unsworth. Went to Big Sam, then still kept going, oh, we don't really like you. We're going to keep looking. And then four weeks later, gave the bloke the job. Yeah. And then Big Sam asked more money because he's like, you don't really want me and you're only going to keep me to the end of the year. So I'll, I'll, I'll take you to the cleaners. And actually... Now, looking at what Spurs have done, they they executed that plan so incredibly well and seamlessly that unless you're going to do that, don't get rid of him. So let's move on to Arsenal and Unai Emery. Uh, so Arsenal scraped a two-all draw. Was that right? Was that the result? Yes, at home to Southampton with a 96-minute equaliser and got booed off and got booed constantly through. How do we keep Unai Emery in a job? Well, here's, here's the thing. So, my an old friend of mine in England sent us an email on the uh, shed uh, the shed email. His yeah. name's his name's Tom. Shout yeah. out to Tom. Uh, really did uh, put some parallels with the trajectory of Manchester United with Arsenal. Is, is Emery is Emery the Moyes? Is, yeah, is, is okay. he your version of Moyes? Is just like I've got a bit of a messy squad. Been left a bad legacy. Isn't going to get a chance. Yeah. Then you're going to go for the big name. Then you're going to go for, okay, well, well you know, Louis Louis we went for, we for the gamble. No, no, let's go. You're going to go for the Louis van Gaal, who is essentially going to realise that it's too big a job, doesn't really have a footballing identity, is very used to managing 20 years ago with amazing players and the rest of the footballing world was a bit shitter than it is now. It's going to fail miserably. And then it's just panic stations. And and now you are where you are. So, so are we watching the same slow plane crash? Possibly, but I think they're gonna stick with Emery, and I think they should. I've defended. You really like him. So I like I'd like him. to hear your yeah. Your I answer. rate him um, because partly because of his record in Spain. Um, I think he's a smart manager. I think they have a brilliant squad. I think Arsenal's squad is massively underrated. Like they're Lacazette and Aubameyang two of the best strikers in the league and probably could play in the Liverpool front three, could play in the Man City front three, could play in the Leicester front three. Like, they're two of the best. Um, Their defence is a bit weak, but if they get it right, that squad is the second or third best but squad in the league. But it's very unbalanced again, though. Like, they've got they've got no one in midfield. They've got no centre-backs that are any good. Like, I just feel... But again, they've got... You know, you're trying to squeeze Pepe, Aubameyang... Ozil, Lacazette into yeah. the same team. Like I just don't think it's the most balanced. The, the same years you let Ramsey leave. Yeah, like, it's not the most balanced, but I do think if you got the if you get this a structure right of that team, they can do really, really do, well. Does I Emery think, know what the best team is, what his best formation is, and it and if he doesn't? Why doesn't he know after how long he's had at the club? I think he doesn't know because of Ozil. Ozil's an issue. Like, if there's no Ozil well, there... he's only just started playing him again, so I don't know if you can necessarily say it, because he didn't play for the, you know... No, for the first 10 games or whatever. And he still chopped and changed every week. So, I, I mean, I my biggest issue with Emery is that, like, I think in his previous jobs, he had a very, very clear way of playing. mm and that was part of like what he did, but I'm like, all of a sudden, it's like he doesn't know, and he literally he tries to he changes the team and plays players out of position every week, and I'm like, what are you doing? But if he had his 
first choice back four fit and playing. So Bellerin and Tierney wing uh, fullbacks, and then holding David Luiz. Um, but is that his Zen- first choice, John? Because he plays Chambers every week, and when Bellerin's been fit. Emery will always be loyal to a player that does okay the week before. That's one downside of him. If you play quite well, you're in the team next week, which I think is an error. Um, but if you have those four, and three of them have been out for at least a year, if they're all fit and playing, that's a really good flat back four. You put in front of it Torreira and Guendouzi, two really good, solid centre midfielders, and then you've got 75 million attackers that you can just chop and change and a lot of very good young players yeah but you're also assuming that Torreira and Guendouzi stay back you know, yeah and, and, and they're good at that they're well, good at it but they're, they're not told to do that and they, they're, they're yeah Torreira attack. hasn't yeah. hasn't played in defensive midfield which is like clearly his best position yeah. it, one of the things that um, that keeps on resonating about Emery is that he is meant to be a very inspiring man so he, he when when he talks and when he leads, he's able to articulate his point. He's a very smart bloke. Yeah. Uh, I've heard him being described as wise. Yeah, he's a wise man, which means that players can learn from him in, in a way that they don't learn from other managers. You know, he's the opposite of Tim Sherwood. <laughs> yes. he, he's read a book. Yeah. <laughs> um, however, his English isn't very good. No, and he's only just moved to the country, which means that he used to rely on the the inspiration he could he could instill in his players and the way he could describe certain situations and the way he could inspire you through them and with English being a struggle for him he the edge that he had from a man management perspective has been taken away and, and you can't underestimate that yeah and I do, I do think that's a very true point and it's been talked about that the communication just in the training ground isn't the best and it's just those little things like if you he goes over to someone who's had a bad game that week and just puts an arm around his shoulder and chats to him about oh next week can you try this and maybe we'll work on this and we'll have a go at that he can't just say yeah. that he I, can kind of have, he might have to have someone else there to have that communication through them or he can say it in broken English and you don't get that one-on-one moment of inspiration because you can't speak the yeah. language and, and, and you get that all the time I heard an interview this week because he's bloody put himself in the press with Rafa Benitez <laughs> uh, where he's talking about being in China and having a Chinese translator yeah. and he says that you know even though he's got an amazing Chinese translator he's a good coach he knows football he still has to learn Chinese words things like forward back press yeah. these things because how else is he going to get his messages across but then you know when you listen to that you're thinking okay so you've gone from an extensive vocabulary of a way to explain, describe, and request a complex, intricate system of of, of management of eleven individuals to a, to a single machine structure, and you've condensed that down to ten words that you've required to to say things. Yeah. Now Emery is doing that in reverse, and he, also your translator may not be as passionate as you, or may not quite get the right gist of what you're saying. And how do you know? Yeah. But it's a bit like, is it that simple? Because, I mean, Arsenal don't have that many players where English would be their first language. Like, it's probably the universal language, but it's a very multicultural squad. But I think my defence of Emery would be similar to my defence of Everton here, in that I think Arsenal have about the fifth or sixth best team in the league at the moment. Yeah. They are two points off that, and I think that they are a very good chance of winning the Europa League. Emery is, we know, he's got a great record in the Europa League. I think if they could finish fifth or sixth, win the Europa League and get back in the Champions League, then and blood some of these youngsters, that's a very, very successful season for Arsenal. Yeah. But I think 
only other thing I want to say that's that's my defence of him. The thing that's frustrating me at the moment when I watch Arsenal is, as I said, with some things I feel like he doesn't know um, what his best team or yeah. or um, uh, you know uh, formation is. But then with other things, he is just completely inflexible and refuses to change, such as the we must play out from the back, even if we don't have players that are suited to playing out from the back. Now, yeah, yeah. it's infuriating to watch. The, who's the Greek centre back? Socrates. 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 Yeah. Also a philosopher. My God. Like, <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen a centre-back take longer and like he literally just waltzed around hit the edge of his six-yard box for about five minutes like he was waiting for a bus, had a look around. Oh, I've still got time for a fag before the bus gets here. <laughs> I'll go. And then Cedric pounced. Like, I just yeah. thought that was... Oh, Cedric, your favourite so player. bizarre. And I, yeah, I, love, I was watching it and I saw Cedric and then Cedric completely balls it up. And I was like, there he is. Like All he had to do was pass Ball it across the six-yard box. Yeah. But yeah, I just... So I sort of... The thing I find hard with Emery, hmm. I want to I like him. And I don't actually think that Arsenal were that far off where they need to be, but I can understand some of the frustration from the fans. I think he's a messed up stuff with Xhaka, which I didn't like. Um, mm. But then I think the other thing is some things he's changing every week, and then other things he's not changing at all. Yeah. And I'm like, how does how does that even fit? Like it, I just sort of. So I think you you watch that, and it because of um, you know those sort of seemingly completely opposing philosophies you would find it very frustrating to watch your team because you don't know what you're going to watch each week. So same question on Arsenal as we did to Everton. If Emery goes tomorrow, who do you bring in? And is there anyone out there that's better? Who would go there? Well, yeah, it's a very different value proposition than Everton. Yeah. They could... Arsenal are in a position to price someone away from their job. They could go for the guy at Ajax. They could, they could pay the money and they could show yeah. that they are worth you leaving your current job that you might be invested in for. Would they want to, though, or, or would the person want to go? Because I think the other thing is you've got an owner at Arsenal who is more interested in making money and taking money out of the club than trying to get Arsenal back to a position to win the league. We forget that Arsenal have only lost three games this year, mm. and that's the same as Man City. Yeah. That, that that's something that you've yeah. got, got. Like to, I got said, to I don't think they're that far off where they. And and um, <laughs> sorry, Arsenal, but Southampton were very good in this game. Yeah. Southampton should have won this game. Arsenal scored in what the ninety sixth minute or something yeah. like that. And Southampton were excellent. So, oh, sorry, excellence is a strong. Uh, they were very good. No, they, they were, were good. They and were they, very you're good. right. They missed. They missed a couple of really decent. They should chances. have been away with the yeah. fairies in this game. Arsenal shouldn't have got a point. So actually, if I was an Arsenal fan, I'd be I'd be chuffed. I survived this game. Do you know who would do really well at Arsenal and be the perfect fit? Go on. Rafa Benitez. Oh, fuck off. He would be. <laughs> what, is this Rafa week or something? Well, no, but he's <laughs> perfect for it. Bigger club than Everton. But, like, what? he hasn't... He stuck the boot in. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, let's move off the managers having a bad time to the managers having a great time. Now, okay, John, I want to do the same thing for you. We've got, we got to try and fire these people. Yeah, I want you to tell me why they should get the sack. <laughs> Right. So let's start on uh, Man City against Chelsea, which was a bit of a, just a really fun game. Sack them um, both. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, Man City won 2-1. You could fire Pep for not winning the Champions League and not believing he ever will win the Champions League because I, he's too obsessed with it and thinks too hard about it that he'll get it wrong. He'll overthink it and then realise he's playing Carl Walker on the left wing and go, 
What have I done? Did yeah. he win it at Barca or not? Yes. Yeah. yeah he won, I don't think he won it twice, but he also has never won it without Lionel Messi. And you'd also... Oh, that's an interesting, that's an interesting <laughs> point. And you'd also argue that, that Pep's trajectory... And again, we're being... We're, <laughs> this is the <laughs> hypothetical here. Since he left either, but Pep, Pep's trajectory is that he starts very well and then he leaves when it gets a bit bothersome. Uh, and he has never lasted more than four years at a single club. No. He's halfway through his fourth year at Manchester City. He's not winning the league. And whenever he's won the league, he's won the league from, from ahead. Yeah, he goes, goes hard and then kind of tails off because and he, they're so far But ahead. he's never chased a league to win a league. Not, not once in his career has he come up from behind to yeah. win a league. Last year, they were nine yeah. points behind. Oh, okay. Yeah, you're right. And then he won like 18 games in a row. You're absolutely right. Good. <laughs> do well, do thanks you feel for that. like they're a bit off though? I just feel like there's like, I, I watched this, um, this game and I was really impressed with Chelsea, particularly in the first half hour. And... Do you know what was was weird? It's like you're just so used to a Pep team monopolising possession. Like Chelsea have more of the ball. Do you know this and is a, the least possession that a Pep team's had in the last, I think, six years? Ever, oh, there you go. ever as a first team coach. Ever as a first yeah. team coach. Wow. Well, yeah. What was the split? I just no, forty something. But anyway, like yeah. I just but like watching, you know, particularly first half hour watching the game, I was like Chelsea's midfield three were brilliant, um, uh, and I particularly I was impressed with. Uh, Kovacic, Kovacic the guy that I uh, said the guy is the most... you don't rain his ball for well, the goal this year is brilliant, brilliant season. But I, yeah. awful but yeah I was just surprised and I, but I just sort of felt like Man City would just they're just a little bit off at the moment I'm not quite sure what it is whether it's pressure of, of the of the chase or, or what but they're definitely or whether it's um, Laporte being out but I, I think they're a bit lucky like uh, the deflection on um, the De Bruyne shot Yes, yeah, it, like, came, it came off Zuma twice. Yeah, that was yeah. a little yeah. bit fluky. But as soon as that goal went in, it was that was then the, what they needed, and that was the shift. But I think before that point, um, you know, Chelsea were were on top. And Kante's goal was brilliant. Yeah, Kovacic's amazing yeah. ball. And through. whilst we're just waxing lyrical about this game, Mahrez's goal. Oh, I mean, it, it's one of those goals that's like it's ninety nine percent. You have to be ninety nine percent perfect to get that in. It, or there is no 98% yeah. it won't go in you won't have done the little step over you won't have dragged it back and it won't have gone through the legs of a player and gone right in the bottom corner it's just perfect but don't you think like, it was the most Mares goal ever like he only, yeah, course, touch, yeah. only touches the ball with his left foot cut it in off, cuts the, right. In off yeah. the right I was Come like step well, I'm, I know I'm watching so I know what he's going to do here yeah. and then you sort of see it and I'm like is he at Leicester again like, yeah. he used to just used to do it every week yes <laughs> and the thing is he does it even though there was a defender in the way yeah. and yeah. I'm sure he would look you in the eye and say no I knew I'd go between his legs but no you're a selfish prick and you and even though there was someone in the way you're like no nah, I'm just going to shoot I don't think um, in terms of uh Chelsea and, and Frank Lampard on the managers. I don't think they'll lose any friends after this game. I thought they, they I thought they no. genu- genuinely played really well. Yeah, I think they're doing really, really well. Um, and if they can keep it up for the whole season, I gen, I had no idea that Frank Lampard would be able to do this and do well. No. I, I say it's kind of perfect person, perfect scenario, perfect moment with the transfer ban. I do wonder. Uh, Second season syndrome. Second season, and if he suddenly gets given money and spends a hundred million on someone that's really bad and ruins the whole, and it all goes wrong, I can see that happening. But look, everything is different. So right now, everything at Chelsea is crazy. If you are a Chelsea fan, you don't care about results. 
Yeah. You're just enjoying it because you're in this transitional year where you can't buy players, you can't look at long-term strategy, you've got one of your heroes back. You don't care if you lose because you're just enjoying watching the team play. Everything is different. Yeah. That's a temporary scenario. As soon as there's expectation on you, or, you know, we talk about money. Chelsea's team this year didn't cost them any money. Okay, you can say that they, they bought um, Pulisic for 40 million and, yeah. and bought Kovacic from his loan, whatever. But every other team we talk about, we go, oh, they spent 150 million pounds in the summer, so they should be performing better. As a Chelsea fan, you're like, oh, we weren't allowed. So yeah. everything you're watching, you're enjoying. Mm. And if you lose, you're like, oh, well, you know, this is, the, this is our lot. Yeah. If you win, you're loving it. Which means that he is in this bubble of zero... Um, like zero criticism because yeah. if they lose no consequence that's not losing. his fault yeah. if they win good on him which yeah. means that we will get to a point where the bubble bursts and, yeah. and there is genuine pressure like there has been for the last decade on Chelsea managers and yeah. he's going to have to shoulder that and he's going to not he won't be used to it and he because he's so new he won't have had any experience in spending £150 million yeah. no, it's fair, you're right it's a very different dynamic Next season. Mm. Um, yeah. Just so you know, the stats on possession were Man City had 46.7 and Chelsea had 53.3. Wow, there you go. So, yeah. Huge. Maybe Jorginho can play. Yeah, he's brilliant. <laughs> um, another manager having a great time, Chris Wilder. Um, they drew 3 3 with Man United, Sheffield United. Um, is Chris Wilder a genius? Well, it was my game to watch last week, wasn't yeah. it? You got I was going to say, I my first thing on this game, I just wanted to point out. And just credit Jeff. Like well, I think we've enjoyed Sheffield United, but you made a real point last week of saying to people, watch, watch this. this game. Yeah. Just go and watch Sheffield United. Mm. And I think a lot of that, you're enjoying it for the same reason that I am, which is, it, it, one, it's a surprise, because we didn't really know a huge yeah. amount about Sheffield United. I mean, I saw a bit in last year, but two, it's something that's completely different it's and new, new crazy. and yeah. innovative. And yeah. I watched this game, and it was like peak Sheffield United. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I don't think I have seen a team, particularly not Sheffield United, <laughs> dominate Man United we, like we, that. Like I was watching this and I was like, wow, this is Man United do not know what is happening. It was like Sheffield United first at every ball, Sheffield mm. United overwhelming United at every contest, 30 pass, pinging 30, the ball yeah, around and United just did not yeah. have a clue. And I was like, is this United being really bad or is this actually just brilliant and United... Don't know how to counter. Did you watch it? the? If you were an alien and you came down and someone said to you, "One of these teams has won yes. the Premier League twenty <laughs> times, and one has just got promoted two years in a row from League One," you would go the other way round. Yeah, you, and you, most you, of the players played in League One. Yes, it's it's brilliant to watch. Did you did you pay close attention to the way their defensive midfielders drop back into into centre back? Yeah, because yeah. it's just magical so how it happens. Well, but they all can almost play in each other's positions. It's yeah. kind of like the whole. I mean, and that is where you have to give the coach and mm. the coaches enormous credit because you can see, like, watching them, it is almost like like we talk about Pep's teams being like a machine. Sheffield United's team is like that. Like they're all. It's like they've all got a string attached. Yeah. But they're. It's also in constant motion. Moves, yeah. And when one moves, the other, without thinking about it, knows then exactly where to go to fill it's in. Peripheral. And yeah. then he's going to go. And he's going to go. And I think the only way you can get away with having overlapping centre backs is if almost instinctively, mm. or it's been so well coached that everyone knows where to. And fit. the big thing this week is they lost their goalkeeper because he's a Man United player on loan. 
and they centre back was suspended. So Phil Jagielka, thirty-seven-year-old Phil Jagielka, <laughs> just ten years it. older than Phil Jones. So he's still got ten years in him, Phil Jones. Um, but he came in for his first start, and nothing was different. And to, to lose your goalkeeper and main centre back and to just carry on the same shows that the whole club is built around and this but, ethos. And thing. astute business, buying Jags for exactly this situation. Yeah. You're away at Manchester United. Oh, oh no, it was at Bramall Lane, wasn't it? Yeah. You're Against Manchester United, who's not going to panic? We've got this bloke on a free yeah. who has done this a hundred times, you know? Oh, not a hundred times, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, what's the name of their centre forward who hasn't scored a goal yet? McGoldrick. Um, McGoldrick. My God, that player is good. Yeah. It, like, if ever there was a... <laughs> look. <laughs> well, he was so... De, De Gea's save was oh, amazing. That the one-handed... One and I'm not, and, and I'm, not gonna, I'm not trying to be obnoxious, but remember when we were talking about Giroud in the World Cup? Uh, the backboard. And, yeah, the, the, yeah, the backboard, the, yeah. the basketball backboard, and yeah. the fact that France are a worse side without Giroud, even if he doesn't score goals. McGoldrick, McGoldrick, McGoldrick. Yeah, McGoldrick. Yeah. He, he is so fundamental to the way Sheffield United play. He plays centre back. He, mm. he he has such yeah. a free reign in this side <laughs> that he covers when there's a centre back overlapping. That kid's like playing in front of yeah. the goalkeeper. Yeah. He like he shuttles up and down the park. He he lays it off. He 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 selfless dummy runs left and right to clear space for players. That bloke is unbelievable. And yeah. I think. Um, I actually saw something on that this week, and the Sheffield United fans say that he is one of their most important yeah, players. So no, there's no pressure him. on him to yeah. score a goal. He doesn't have to. Yeah, he's no. so important to the way they play. But I, is it? Is a question. I don't. Definitely, I can't mount an argument to sack Wilder. But is is it that? Do we think there are other players in lower leagues of English football that? are good enough to play in the Premier League yes. and that some of it is we're underestimating these players or is it all the coach? Because like I saw like Lundstrom, who didn't play in the Championship last year, yeah. it wasn't first choice, but everyone you know, has been talking of the yeah. town this year, yeah. uh, hit that um, left oh, foot. Oh, that volley. A volley? Yeah. So on his wrong foot. And I was like, hold on. Like, when did he... When did he learn how to do this? Like he's a bit of a plodder, and then he he does that. But then and Robbie Flex had no talk about him this year, and then he was brilliant. And I'm like, is it just that these players are really well coached, or is it that they're better than my my theory on it is that you you have the elite 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 like one percenters in the world, the Messi's, Ronaldo's, and the Salas of this world that are just a bit better than everyone else. Then you have a block of everyone else from the Lundstroms of this world up to the Phil Jones down to someone who plays in League One in centre midfield every week. There's actually not that much difference between any of them. What makes the player, the Premier League player or the League One player is luck, hard work and confidence. It's that form that you've got. So Lundstrom at the moment is flying and he's just so confident that I'll just swing my left boot at it and it will come off my laces and go flying in the top corner. But if you're not picked, if you've been injured, if you've not been in the right scenario, it'll try that and it'll go, it'll shin it or miss it completely and it'll look shit. See, I, 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 I completely agree with you, John. I, I think that there is, there's too much, uh, too much breadth that we give to, or oh, a championship player versus a Premier League player. You know, players who play for Brighton, uh, could as might as well play for Leeds. There, there is not much difference. No. Ha- however, there is a type of player like Lundstrom is is a is a good example of that. And you could probably pull a few out of your hat that train in Premier League academies, get 
aren't good enough for the first team in those Premier League academies, so they go down to the Championship or to League One. Now, they probably don't get as much game time as you'd expect because actually the Championship and League One are for the players who have been in Championship and League One academies and they can't quite cope with that level of aggression playing twice a week. The intensity that... It's full-on for a player like Lundstrom. As soon as they get promoted back to the Premier League, he has had a year, two years worth of indoctrination into the style, into the coaching, but yet suddenly he has a bit more space on the ball. Yeah. Like like he it's a bit less aggressive. The referees are a bit more a bit harsher to challenges. Yeah. Which means that suddenly this kid finds himself in his elephant in, in his elephant. Yeah. In, in his element. It's like it's the And world he's obviously he, got ability if you initially get picked up yeah, by a Premier League it's, it's the world yeah. he's been brought up in. However now he has the the confidence, as you say, yeah. the coaching in a side, the, the belief that he's going to be picked every week. Yeah. But he's had the upbringing to understand the Premier League because that's the academy he's been brought up in. And, and you could probably choose 10 players that have done that kind of trajectory. And how many times have we gone, oh, this, this player was at Man United's academy. Why is he yeah. suddenly the star at Hull or, or the yeah. star at Brighton? You're like, oh, why, why didn't he just stay? He's now a top scorer, whatever it is. Like It's because of that trajectory. And so much of it is that, luck and that opportune moment if like Rashford came in for Van Gaal in the Europa League same with Harry Kane Harry Kane just floated around for ages and then played in the Europa League Mm. scored and scored he worked really hard like that's always a consistent you've got to work really hard but when the opportunity comes you score a couple of goals like Rashford did on his debut and then the manager just goes I'll try again next week try it again next week and then you're in and once you're in you're in. Rashford's a great example. No one knew who he was. It was a random... You you were losing that Europa League game. That's the thing. You were losing it and he came on and he scored and he came back and you drew or you won and his goals changed it. So suddenly it's like the crowds are going, well, play this kid. But then what the thing with Rashford is we we knew about him as a young player that he was good but no one knew how good he was and I think there's a levelling out of how good he actually is. But because he hit form, it's like the Federico Makeda thing mm. where he comes on for Man United, scores this great goal and everyone goes, brilliant. He's not even a League Two striker. Yeah. But he just had a great week. And as a Premier League player, if you can have a great six weeks, you're probably made for three years. You're in. Yeah. yeah. And then you've got to work, make sure you have another couple of six weeks within that three-year period to stay there. And it's that easy. And it, so I don't it's think... Like Schneiderlin. Yes. Yeah. I don't <laughs> I think... had a season at Southampton. <laughs> I don't think the... Backs that big. Yeah. Um, United what, have had a lot of those. Like your Chris Eagles is of this well, world. Yeah. Exactly the same. While we're on United, just very briefly, I know we're talking about managers having a great time. Uh, I think the manager that I would almost have the hardest time justifying them to stay in their position is probably Solskjaer. Yeah. Now, I, I looked at this because I, I watched this game and I'm like, there is one coach that has his team playing a brand of football that is brilliant to watch, is innovative, but is also, there's a lot of thought that's clearly gone into it and a lot of coaching. Now, you cannot put that on anybody else other than the coach. Yeah, yeah. And then I went back and I'm like, oh, what's his experience? And you look at Chris Wilder's experience. He's coached a lot of teams. Mm. 19 years all, or something. All yeah. through the leagues. He's got over 10 years on Solskjaer. Now, he's coached in pretty much every division in 
um, English football. He's had multiple promotions. So this isn't a one-off success, but we're kind of, there's been a, a long build yeah. to this point. So he's not done it necessarily the same as a lot of the ex-pro managers. Yeah. So you might say Solskjaer's a bit different. But then you look at Solskjaer. Like Solskjaer's got at least 10 years less managerial experience, which is a huge number yeah. of games. Most of his managerial experience is in a very, very weak league yeah. with a team where he's not even doing that well. Yeah. Um, and I think the more you look at it and the more you look at the decision that United made to make him the full-time coach, the worse it looks. No. I just don't think that he is... He doesn't have a way of playing. You look brilliant for 10 minutes in this game. Yeah. I put all the credit for that on the players. Just like going, like, what the fuck are we doing? Yeah, Rashford turned it on for 10 minutes, like yeah. scored a goal, great assist. And then enthusiastic just, kids. Yeah, I just, or, or it's Solskjaer, it's about motivation. It's not about coaching innovation. And I just, I can't see United changing and being successful with Solskjaer as a coach. Spurs made an error in the summer by not getting rid of Pochettino, or that not going separate ways. Man United made an error by going Solskjaer should stay. Spurs rectified that error. Man United need to rectify that error. Like yeah. They need to just turn around right now and go, it's embarrassing, but we should never have given you the job. Sorry, Ollie. We made a mistake. We made a mistake. Yeah. Pochettino, how much money are you <laughs> We'll give it to you. I agree, because I think I, I actually he, think Pochettino would be he's motivated for yeah. the job. And you know, the, the Daniel Levies of this world would do that. Yes. The, the yes. Iwa-Wuwa's would not. Yes, no, definitely not. Um, let's quickly move on to the managers we've forgotten about, because we always put them at the end when we're in a rush, and now we're going to go through them quickly because we've forgotten about them. Um, but Nuno Espirito Santo... At Wolves, my favourite thing about him is that on his, you know they have their initials on the um their shirt. It says mm. Nez. Oh, good week, good one. That's my favourite thing. About um, but Wolves are doing really. Wolves are fifth, struggling start of the year. We said Europa League curse. Da da da. They've yeah, but won five in a row. Look great. Okay, anyone can be fifth at the moment. Yeah, I, true. I, I, no, yeah, yeah. They have I, been, granted, been playing very good football for a number of weeks now. They, they have, and I'm not. I'm not anti Wolves. I just wanted to like. Being fifth this year is the same as being 11th. They suddenly look good, though, and they're playing well. They look comfortable in the Europa League. Um, Martinho's free kick was really good in this game. Brilliant. However, I watched it this afternoon. I was like, I'm pretty sure the foul's way nearer to the touchline. I watched, I rewound it. Oh, really? It. And the foul is about three yards from the touchline, but he takes the free kick from another 10 yards Inland, I'm like, nah, that's yeah. cheating. Well, yeah, the thing is, don't get me wrong, I, I started off in a negative and I apologise because I, I actually think Neu Wolves look great. And I wanted to talk about Matinho. So have you uh, come across the pressing stats in the Premier League this season? So no. individual pressing stats, so players who press. Okay. Like, so when the amount of instances they have had in a game where they have physically put pressure on another yeah. player. Um, surprisingly, centre-backs, or maybe not surprisingly, centre-backs are the lowest pressers. Uh, which, which is interesting because yeah. you would assume as defenders that they'd be the yeah. they'd be the position that. We, but again, I guess if you look at it a bit more as carefully, soon as you gamble, you, then yeah, they, you don't yeah. want a centre back yeah. just like rushing up yeah. to a to a striker. They'll get yeah. turned for Bad fun. But yeah. the, um, <laughs> so I wanted to highlight Matinho. So Matinho, on average this year, has got just under thirty presses a game. Jesus, that's a lot. 
Now, I want to just highlight that he is over 30 years old. He's at 33, yeah, he's pretty 32. Old. Yeah. Um, the second highest presser over the age of 30 is David Silva with yeah, well, 15. Wow, that's a big difference. So the he is, Moutinho is, I say that for his age, if let's include every other player in the Premier League, Moutinho is in the top five pressers in the Premier League uh, as, a, as a competition. Yeah. But part of that is... is where he plays I mean yes he has to have the fitness at age 33 to be yeah. able to play there but I mean his the where he where he plays in the team is very different to David Silva absolutely but he's he's sitting there scoring it's not sitting there he's, he's scoring an, an incredible free kick he is the engine room of the team but you'd say Mark Noble plays in a similar position as Moutinho and plays in the middle of the park True. and has to run around and make things happen and Moutinho does that, and he's pressing. Mark Noble's not, and they're far probably, more. probably look, the same age. And look at the difference. Yeah. Uh, and look at the difference in the in the two sides, and how he breaks down play, and how he dictates play. Who are we talking about before as a quarterback? Was it Declan Rice? Yeah. Moutinho is that player, full yeah. stop. But he's that player over the age of thirty, with the maturity of Moutinho, the energy of a much younger player to be doing what he does, yeah. and yet he's still coming up and scoring goals. But, I, I think that he is. Of one of the most underrated players in that mid Premier League block. Oh, I don't know if he's underrated. Like I thought, it was a bit of a coup for Wolves when he came in, like when when they got him. But I like because he's been talked about for years. He has hundred caps coming to the Premier League. It never quite happened, but I think he's like he was always like one of the best players to never play in the Premier League before he yeah. came to Premier League. And I I think he's brilliant. And I think you're right because he can he does all that dirty stuff and the pressing, but his brain is brilliant like he's such a smart footballer and I, his second free kick typified it for me yes the first one was brilliant technique but I actually preferred the second free kick yeah I think it's one of the best you know one of my favorite free kicks of all time was the Argentina one against England oh, in the yeah, World Cup when yeah, Javier Zanetti scored yeah. um I love those ones where it's like clearly pre-planned but yeah. it's not what you're expecting and in this one it was like he was just straight away on the same wavelength as Traore and Jimenez and it just was like... Bang, bang, bang. Yeah, from the moment it went, and you're just like, that is brilliant. But I just think... It is, but Bournemouth should not have conceded that goal. But it's not like, that easy, because, I mean, Traore yeah. is that quick that then does the if the guy compl- drops off deep, then he's got all the time in the world to cross it. But I also think it happens so quickly, and I think that's that speed of thought is one of the things that has allowed Matinho to still be as good as he is at 33. Yeah. It's, in, it's, in his, smart, it's in his brain. He's a smart Don't get me wrong, I loved watching it. I love watching that goal, but watch it over and over again and you think, there's only one team playing here. So if I was if I was Bournemouth, I'd be like, well, where was... The- how? Why didn't you react well, Eddie to that Howe situation? Defensively, like, if it was like yeah. when it's a when it's an advanced situation like that, that that's quick into the opponent. If it was the first ball, I understand if you're caught off guard. Remember the Champions League yeah. with with Trent Alexander-Arnold. First the ball, one. I get it, but it was the the first ball was to Traore. The second ball was to Jimenez. Yeah. There is no way if you're caught off guard, as they were by the first ball to Traore, that the second ball should have got in. If I was Bournemouth, I'd be ropeable by watching that goal. Um, we've run out of time for forgotten managers, which is kind of appropriate. But the last one I just wanted to mention that I put on the forgotten managers is Sean Dyche, because he's really boring, and I always forget. <laughs> and I just don't care about Sean Dyche. And do you know the thing that annoys me most about Sean Dyche? <laughs> complimentary judge <laughs> no, because he's forgotten about is but the they're Brit- sitting in seven pundits on the radio always go oh British manager get a- Sean Dyche should be Everton manager Sean D- he's crap 
like his perfect little scenario at Burnley works for him. If he goes anywhere else, he's awful. I don't think he's crap. No, it's crap. I just think he has a he has a way of playing, and you don't like it. Yeah. But it doesn't necessarily mean it's wrong, but I agree. I don't necessarily wrong. think that it works anywhere else. And this game typified it because like these were the most Burnley goals yeah. you're ever going to oh. see. Two in-swinging corners, Jeff. Yeah, yeah there it goal. is. But um, I, I know we jumped off it, but one thing I did want to say, we've, there's been a lot of talk of VAR this year. Yeah. One of the best bits of refereeing I've seen this year was in the Wolves-Bournemouth game. VAR had nothing to do with it. But the referee... Uh, um, Francis, the Bournemouth right back, yeah. was already on a yellow card. Oh, yes. Pulled yeah. down Jota, like clear, like dragged him back. But straight away, the referee played the advantage. You know, Wolves are in an attacking position, let the play go back. And then it went for a while, but then went back and gave France a second yellow and sent him off. But it just did it all so smoothly and let play and didn't wasn't flustered in the whole There's process. There's no hard about it. And it was just brilliant refereeing. Yeah. And I'm like, you kind of forget with all the VAR stuff that actually a lot of these referees are really good at what they do. And I just mm. liked, I've forgotten. Yes. Like it's so, yeah. so much VAR and I just saw that in the game and I just went, you know what? That is brilliant referee. Yeah. Just the R. Yeah. We need the R. <laughs> we need the R. Um, has anyone got any side stories? I've got one. Go on. From this morning. We yeah. haven't talked about it, but uh, Champions League happened today, yes. obviously. But um, one of the games was uh, Bruges. Any oh, of you Galatasaray see this? against Club Brugge. Um, so they got uh, they like a last-minute goal. Yeah. And then two of their players got sent off. Yeah. Sorry, so what? in celebrating the goal... There were two guys that were on a yellow card. No. One of them took his shirt off to celebrate. The other kicked the corner flag to celebrate and oh snapped the corner flag. God. They both got set off. You're kidding me. <laughs> so but good, sir. The best thing about it, so they draw one all against Galatasaray away. Did that get them through? No, so it means, but it means they're most likely to go into the Europa League. But okay. they have one game left. And these guys are suspended. And they're suspended. Yeah. And they play for Club Bruges, which isn't the biggest team in the world, playing away at Real Madrid. Oh, come on. So you suspended yeah. away at Real Madrid. The game of your life. And you're like, no. Oh, wow. Um, I had a couple of little ones. Um, Chris Smalling scored at the weekend again for Roma. Man of the match, he was yeah. that game, yeah. Got two assists as well. Like, really? he's on fire. Yeah. Um, should play for Man United. And Newcastle have just signed a new goalkeeper coach, whose surname I don't know. But his first name's Steve. So that means Newcastle have a manager called Steve, an assistant manager called Steve, <laughs> first team coach called Steve, and a head scout called Steve, and a goalkeeper coach called Steve. Oh, this oh is my great. God. <laughs> yes, oh, my God. And they all look like potatoes. Yeah, probably. Uh, the only thing I wanted to mention before we get onto the end game was that Graham Potter just signed a new contract. Yes, till 2025. Till 2025. Did we learn nothing from Alan Pardew? No, I think it's brilliant. I think they looked at him and have gone six months so far brilliant and now do it for another five years. So do you think if um, they got relegated, which they're not going to do, but if they got relegated, do you, th do you think he'd go? No. I think they've, a bit like Norwich, they have a five-year structure plan in place and that compensates for going down and up again. It's funny because, John, I'm going to give you some credit here. I remember in the shed four years ago... Yeah, when we were talking about the last remaining manager, in, English manager in the Europa League, 
And you brought up Potter as yeah. when he was the Osterson's manager and gave yes. us a bit of a bio. He's, he's going to look stroppy now. This is. <laughs> I brought I brought him up like three or four weeks before John says no. it. Look, Roger, it's not a competition. But John, I, I have absolute respect for you bringing up Graham Potter first. Is this and why you're bringing this up? Roger, though? it's not a competition. John, <laughs> I just think that it was really insightful from you and your football Thank knowledge you, is... Um, it's just it, it, move on, please. Thank you for highlighting <laughs> my not your genius. Yes. Uh, can I? Uh, can I, I? I know we've got to move on. Can I say one more thing? It's not VAR, but I just want to get your thoughts on something. Okay. That was one of the contentious moments with VAR this week. Uh, well, I'm, I'm actually not going to ask you a question. I'm going to make a statement. Okay. But I think in the Liverpool Palace game, Dejan Lovren. You thought he dived? Now. The, this is what, if I was a referee, do you know what I would have done in that situation? Go on, make your statement. I would have given a foul, but I also would have given Lovren a yellow card for simulation. Yeah, okay, I thought fair. it was a disgrace because he, there is the smallest, like as soon as he felt the oh, hands, hands on up. him, he flopped. Yeah. And he knew that like the ball had gone over his head and he panicked because that shouldn't have happened. He was in the wrong position. It might lead to a chance. So he flopped. However... When a player is going up for a header or they're in the air, it doesn't take a massive touch to shift yeah. them offline. So it was probably just about a foul. But I like Lovren f- like flopped a hundred percent. So I want to penalise both. Now, of them. I, I I gotta say I am a, very rarely this happens, right? I'm one hundred percent in your agree, in yeah. your court for this. There is space in the rules of football yeah. for it being a foul and a dive. Yes. Those two things are not binary. It is not one or another. You can make a meal of something. That's right. And yet still it's a foul, yeah. but you still deserve punish for making a meal of it. So let's ban him. Yes. One game ban. Done. Right, let's move on to end game. Okay. So the score is 4-4-2. So Jeff and Roger on four points. I'm on two because I've been crap the last few weeks. Bit of pressure here, John. So Roger, you won last week. So you get to choose the game. So basically Ro- Jeff and I have to pick the people that played in this game. And if we get it wrong, then we lose. So Jeff will be very pleased because this week I haven't have gone for Manchester United and Aston Villa. Oh, I thought you were uh, going for United Villa. I've been very brushing up I on have my... gone to 2013. Um, and we talked a lot about West Ham this week and in particular their manager, Manuel Waterboy Pellegrino. Yes. Um, and so I have gone... For Pellegrini's first game, game as manager of Manchester City. Oh, Man City. In 2013 against Newcastle. Okay. Who goes first? Um, uh, I was a loser. So John, mean... you need it, so you go first. David Silva. David Silva, correct. Scored a goal. Yes. Fuck. <laughs> I don't think he played. Um, Zabaleta. Correct. Sergio Aguero. Correct. Scored. Balotelli. Ooh. Left uh-uh. Oh no! I have to get one I think right. You've gone. Yeah, John's got to get one right. Oh first. no, I got two right already because I was second. So yes. Shit. Oh, yes. yes. Jeff. Four, four, three. 
Joe the Hart. other strike, yeah, the Joe other striker Hart. that played, Edin Dzeko. Oh, I think Palatelli had gone by this point, but he wasn't even in the squad. Uh, so Man City, Joe Hart, Pablo Zabaleta, Vincent Company. Yeah, Jolene right. Lescott, uh, Gail Clichy at left back. Oh, yeah. What was that? Fernandinho. How did that even happen? Yaya Torre, uh, Jesus Navas, Sergio Aguero, David Silva, Edin Dzeko, Samir Nasri, Alvaro Negredo, and Javi Garcia came off the bench. Uh, Newcastle, Tim Krull, the saver of penalties. Matthew Debushi, uh, Fabrizio Colaccini, oh, yeah. Stephen oh. Taylor got sent off. Oh, Wellington um, Phoenix is yeah. Stephen Taylor. Yanaga uh, Mibawi, I don't know him. Uh, Sissoko. Uh, Sissoko. Oh, Chick Teote. Oh, yeah, they, had really, they had a really good uh, side in terms of Yoan Gufran, Hatim Ben Arthur, Jonas Guterres, and Papa Cisse. Were they, that was Pardew, the Pardew, Pardew years. Yeah, they yeah. actually had a very good side. That Newcastle side should have done a lot better than it did. Well, he came fifth and then went wrong. He won manager of the year that year, Pardew. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Jeff, yeah, I thought, I thought you might both go a while in that one because the Man City team has, it hasn't actually changed that much. I think there have been so many players over the years, it's hard to, it's hard to highlight the 2013. Should have got more Newcastle players. John, that just started is a very Newcastle. important yes. win for you. Yes, I've got a new tactic in my brain and it worked. So, uh, Is it to think in advance? No, it's to not think at all. <laughs> just trust. Just trust. Um, has anyone got anything before we go? No. Uh, thanks for listening everyone we will be back next week don't forget if you want to get in contact or ask us questions tell us we're wrong about something uh, just find us on Facebook or shoot us an email at footballshedpodcast at gmail.com thanks everyone bye see ya, see ya. See ya.